0: This is the St. Longinus' Baptism Podcast channel. This is listener mailbag number four. I'm going to give a brief preface before I get into the question. The listener in question who posed this topic to me, I had a discussion with him earlier and because I needed clarification because I do try, I know it's hard to believe. I do try to be obliging to my listeners such as they are. And I was a little, because I'm, you know, I'm slightly autistic. I wanted to make sure that I understood his question correctly and we, dis- while we were discussing the topic, um, some thoughts occurred to me while he was talking to me, and I decided instead of and, 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 and instead of letting him know what was on my mind, I'd surprise him. <laughs> I hope, dear listener, that this is not too big of a surprise. Um, but I, I I decided that I'm going I'm going to answer what we discussed, but I'm also going to talk about some things that came to my mind during our conversation. In addition to that, In a previous episode, I promised, and the the only reason I know this is I've been going through some of my old episodes, Um, I promised the listeners that I would discuss the nature of Catholic saints, you know, um, basically what the Catholic, and, and when I say, catholic saints i'm not talking about the larpers in the vatican ii sect i'm talking about actual catholic saints um so you're getting a three four a three you've heard of a two four well this is going to be a three four so in the catholic church once again, I'm going to stress, this is not the LARPers of the Vatican II sect. Although, they claim to use these criteria, but I've, I've seen, having been a former Vatican II sect member, I, I've seen some of the saints that they've canonized, and uh, they, they claim to use this, this formula when they, when they canonize a saint. From what I've seen, I I don't think that they do. I think it's lip service for a very specific reason, but I won't get into that now. So in order to be a saint or the magisterium recognizing you as a saint, and I will get into the nature of unknown saints, but In order to be recognized by the magisterium of the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church, let me back up just a scotch. Um, Catholic saints prior to Vatican II were known as friends of God. And this is going to lead me into what the pre-Vatican II Church considered a saint or a friend of God. Now, a bit of useless trivia. Uh, I'm full of it. <laughs> uh, I'm sure a lot of my listeners can agree with that. Um, it is said of St. Teresa of Avila, um, the Spanish nun from the uh around the time of the Reformation, she was riding in a carriage, and the carriage busted an axle, and she fell butt over tea kettle into a mud puddle. And I I think at this point she she was about my age, so when you're in your 50s and you fall off of a a slight, a slight height, you know, it hurts. And then to add insult to injury, um, it was in a mud puddle. (laughs) And the story goes that she told God, she said, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you don't have any friends. Now, It's an amusing story, and I've actually heard some traditional priests tell this story. When I first heard it, I was kind of doubtful, just given my understanding of uh, Catholic saints that, as a general rule... They don't tend to complain about misfortune. They actually give thanks for it, and they actually get kind of peeled with God if they're li- if they feel like there's not enough hardship in their lives. They they complain to God and say, "Hey, did I make you mad? You know why can't you know I I need some I need some punishments, some trials and tribulations." So. I don't know if this story is just what they call in America an urban legend, or if it actually happened. But at any, at any rate, it's a very funny, well, amusing story. I won't say funny, it's amusing. So, in order to be considered a saint, you had to live... What, what the magisterium called heroic virtue and sanctity. Now, heroic virtue can be broken down basically into the seven cardinal virtues. Humility, um, temperance, frugality, um there are some others off the top of my head i didn't make a list but you get the idea for the seven cardinal sins or the seven deadly sins this is popularly known there are corresponding cardinal virtues which are generally the opposite of the deadly sins so you have to practice those virtues to a heroic degree Now, the heroic virtues kind of play into the heroic sanctity. And the heroic sanctity part kind of leads into the virtues. You, You can't have one without the other. So, part of heroic sanctity is, is your prayer life um most of the the canonized saints spent hours in prayer hours and um uh i mean and and just just So, well, I'll get to that part later, but a lot of the saints that were monks and nuns were known for just spending hours upon hours in their cell and never leaving, and they were always in prayer. They practiced very, very strict mortifications. Um such as fasting. Now, when I say fasting, I'm not talking about what the average Catholic considers fasting. Um, you know, uh, maybe a couple of small meals a day. These, these saints fasted like one meal a day and then some saints, it was said, ate. They, these were male adult saints. They uh, It has been said of them that they ate like maybe one meal a day and it wouldn't satisfy the six-year-old child. And it was very plain food. And in addition to food being plain, a lot of the heroic uh, mortification was they wouldn't season their food now me personally being ex military i use a lot of hot sauce and seasoned salt in my in my food these were saints that they wouldn't even use salt and pepper they would just have some boiled vegetables and leave it at that and They did things like some would whip themselves. Now, I I know in today's Hollywood, um, you know, whipping yourself seems like uh, exaggerated or maybe you're mentally ill and that's why you do it. Um, At least in the Middle Ages, that was not out of the norm. <laughs> Believe it or not, it was not out of the norm. It was considered standard operating procedure. Now, after the Reformation, most spiritual directors and, and abbots and abbotesses of nunneries kind of discouraged the practice Um. I'm not sure if the Catholic Church itself discouraged it, but I know on an individual basis it was discouraged. But they would whip themselves, or they would wear itchy hair shirts. And a hair shirt is literally what it sounds like it was a shirt made out of coarse horsehair or some other, you know, uh, Itchy material, and they would wear this. Now, because part of sanctity is is you're not announcing to the world what you're doing, they didn't wear these hair shirts and nothing else. They wear the hair shirt hair shirt underneath their clothing because you're not. You know, Jesus said in the book of Matthew, if you're if you if you're doing physical. Um, physical uh, sacrifices for God, you shouldn't, you know, it shouldn't be noticeable. Nobody should know what you're doing. Um, They would do things like, now in the Middle Ages, of course, this was more out of necessity, but they would take cold baths. And when I say cold, there are some saints that it would be the middle of winter and they would jump into icy ponds, naked, in the middle of winter, or um, they would go the opposite extreme. And let's say it's a hundred degree day out. Now, I know in Europe that that's probably doesn't happen too often. At least that's not been my experience. But let's just say it's a hundred degrees. They would wear heavy clothing to retain the heat. Just stuff like that. And the purpose of this was because we as humans, part of original sin is we are very carnal by nature, meaning we want to go through life soft as marshmallows, and we don't want to, you know, tell ourselves no. If it's hot, we turn on the air conditioner. If it's cold, we turn on the heater. Um, you know, we, we, we don't like fasting. I mean... T- even, even by the standards of today we don't like fasting and part of mortification is sacrifice for 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 the conversion of sinners or for let me back up a, a scooch again uh, part of the the reason for mortification also is to help you to overcome sins, sins of carnality, of the flesh. And not just carnality of the flesh, but even interior sins such as pride, anger, lust, um, greed. You, you do the mortifications for that purpose as well. The reason I'm bringing up Sacrifice for the conversion of sinners or a family member or, you know, to help somebody is because by making these sacrifices, you're asking God to take the sacrifices that you are making and apply them to whoever the, the sacrifice is for. And the reason I'm bringing this up is, is that Our Lady of Fatima told the Fatima kids that they must make sacrifices. And, and she, she wasn't just talking to them. She literally told them, make sure that people know to make sacrifices for the conversion of sinners. And... Basically, and I covered this in a previous episode, when you make a sacrifice for God, you're not giving up something, say like you've got an impurity problem, you're watching porno. You don't quit watching porno for the conversion of sinners. You quit watching porno because God does not like impurity, and you should be doing it to begin with. A sacrifice is a lawful, in the eyes of the church, thing that you can do, but you 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 give it up completely to for the for to help you know like I said, conversion of sinners, helps somebody get over sins or whatever, and the. Uh, by the way, thank you, Lord Jesus and Mother Mary. I just remembered the last example I gave was saying steak and beer on Friday. <laughs> now that would have been a good example for a Vatican II sect member, but for a set of contests, that's a horrible example because we don't eat meat on Fridays. So um a better example of a sacrifice first set of a contest um let's just say you enjoy smoking cigars you give that up permanently for God as a sacrifice for whatever your you know your you're asking uh, your intentions for the sacrifice are let's just say you love meat you love, you love your steaks, you love your, your pork chops, you love your, uh, your chicken. Well, you give that up permanently. Um, let's just say um, you, you like a good beer or you like a good scotch. Now, you're not drinking to excess. You may have a scotch before you go to bed at the end of the night. But you give that up because, by the way, don't let the Protestants or the uh, Calvinists fool you. Um, even by their own standards, you know, at least the Protestant sect, it doesn't say anything about not drinking. It just says don't get drunk. And that was from St. Paul. So you're giving up something lawful, you know, for somebody else. Um, so you get my trip. or let's just say you like video games. Now, when I say video games, I'm not talking about the addict who spends 12 hours a day's 12 hour a day's gaming and may work part time and then sleeps for the rest of the day. I'm I'm talking about somebody who plays it casually, you know, for an hour or two, maybe once a week. And it helps take their mind off their present problems. That's perfectly legal. But you make that sacrifice for other people. And it it puts me in the mind of what Jesus said in the the book of St. Matthew, where he said no greater love, or it might've been St. John. I'm not sure which which gospel book it was in, but he he said, no greater man hath man who lays down his life for the sake of his friends. Like, Like the Bible, the Bible, you know, there's the literal meaning and then there's the spiritual meaning. When Jesus said that, he wasn't just talking about martyring yourself or your friends or your family or your neighbors. He was also talking about making sacrifices for those people, spiritual ones or or physical ones. And by the way, um, for my gentle listener that raised this uh topic i would say that his particular sacrifice in my case is that he puts up with me so that's his particular sacrifice (laughs) is is to humor me when i'm being all autistic and and uh socially retarded by the way That's a joke. That's a joke. Um, Anyway, another part of of, um, heroic sanctity is heroic fortitude. Now, heroic fortitude comes in two types. The secular which means that if the secular authorities, you know, and let's let's just use the Great Tribulation as an example. Let's just say the Masonic Goombas, secret police come to your door and say, renounce Jesus or we're going to kill you. And you say, no, go pound sand. I'm not doing it. And they take you to local, seeker police headquarters and uh, torture you to death. That is martyrdom, uh, physical martyrdom. The second part is spiritual martyrdom. And there was, oh, I wish I could remember the name of the saint, but he talked about how, (laughs) he talked about how spiritual martyrdom was actually more difficult than physical martyrdom because when he talked about spiritual martyrdom, he was talking about the the process of dying to your carnal nature. In other words, the stuff that, to the outside world, just you know, it seems normal and regular and not out of line, but in God's eyes, you need to die to it. And that is called a spiritual martyrdom. And I understand where he's coming from when he says this. Oh, and by the way, for this episode, I'm going to include a book... And um, because it kind of ties into what his, when I was getting my clarification, it kind of ties into what he was looking at. So that is heroic sanctity from the magisterium of the pre-Vatican II Church. Um, And of course, um, part of the canonization process is if uh, a particular saint died before they were canonized, well, I can't think of off the top of my head any saints who were canonized while they were living. But let's just say your Joe Layman in Germany in the fourteen hundreds, and your local monk. Um who lives in a local monastery who you go to he's your spiritual advisor and and this is this, this is going somewhere so try to bear with me but your local monk is you know you just think that he he practiced heroic sanctity and you're absolutely certain that he's in heaven that he was heroically sanctified and so you pray, you know, you ask him to intercede for you to the to Lord Jesus and your prayers get answered or maybe some relic, a piece of clothing he wore touches a sick person and they get well on the spot. Or while they were living, they they had a literal miracle. Now, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds in the nature of uh, saints' miracles. Um there have been books written about it, but a lot of the saints were known for their for their miracles. Um One saint in particular, she was in a convent in um, Spain in the 1500s, and at this time, Spain had already colonized Mexico, and they were going into California and New Mexico to convert the local Indians, and... Some of the tribes they bumped into or some of the Indians had, um, they came to them and they said, hey, hey, we want to join your church. We want to join your church. And these, these monks were like, we've never been here before how do you know about our church? And they said, oh, well, the, the lady from your church told us to come to you and ask for baptism. And it later came out in the beatific uh, uh, process, uh, not process, um, there's, there's, there's a uh, the hearing that gets held for everyone who's considered for beatification And it came out during this nun's beatification process that the Indians described her to a T. Now, she was in a convent in Spain. She was in a convent in Spain. And, there, you know, you can't be two places at once. That's miraculous. Okay? That's the kind of miracles. But anyway, so... A saint has to perform either in his lifetime or if somebody asks for their intercession, they get a miraculous result. Now, the reason I'm bringing this particular instance up is, is that... A lot of people get it twisted, and sad to say, a lot of sedemocontists get it twisted, that they think that um, you have to avoid purgatory to be considered a saint. That is absolutely wrong. That is theologically wrong. If you make it to purgatory, and once again, said Bacontus, don't get this twisted. This does not mean, oh, I'm gonna shoot for purgatory. No, you're supposed to try insofar as you are able to be a saint. And if you're blessed enough to get into purgatory, that's fine. But, um, and this goes into Catholic theology, but Anybody who makes it to purgatory is going to get into heaven. And once you get into heaven, you're a saint. So let's just say you had a really pious grandma, you know, who um she 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 was just pious and devout in her lifetime. If she made it to purgatory and you ask for her intercession or whatever. She is a saint. If she, made, if she made it to purgatory, she is a saint. And even, and here's some, this is something I did not know about until I started listening to the Spiritual Life Podcast. What well, is that not only do the church militant, meaning the practicing Catholics here on earth, pray for the people in purgatory but the people in purgatory pray for us and to me that sounds like a great deal and when i say a great deal i'm saying it sounds great you know we're praying for them to help them get into heaven quicker and they're praying for us that we can get to purgatory if we're not actual saints ourselves or that our purgatory time might be shortened just like theirs were. And I had no idea that that was actually a thing. It is. It's part of Catholic theology. But a lot of said of the get it twisted and think that if you had to go through purgatory, that you weren't a saint. If you make it to purgatory, that makes you a saint by default. The whole purpose of purgatory, though, is to cleanse you of your venial sins that you committed while on earth so that you can actually get into heaven. So, okay, we covered the nature of, I think we covered the nature of uh, Catholic sainthood, I'm just going over my notes here. Oh, before I get into the list of saints like my uh, gentle listener wanted me to get into, I want to also clarify another thing. And once again, I'm going to give the disclaimer. uh, Everything that I talk about in most of my podcasts, I've either been guilty of or I'm guilty of now. The reason I'm bringing this up is is I was under this, when I started getting serious about my Catholicism and my relationship with Lord Jesus and his Blessed Mother, I was under this delusion. If you read some of the biographies of the saints, with certain saints, it is noted that they that they were born saints, for lack of a better term. That they that they showed piety and devotion, you know, from toddlers onward. Now, I'm not saying that this isn't a thing. Because with God's divine providence, as I never get tired of saying, God can do what he wants. So if he wants to predestinate particular souls to be saints as toddlers and just remain saints, he can do that. But you also have to recognize the human element. In the older saints... La, uh, the ver, uh, the older biography of the saints, and I explained to my gentle listener that this is known as a plaster saint. Basically, in in the you know in the more uh, ancient times, a saint would be pious and devout. But they understood, this is why they're friends of God, that they had venial sins in their life, their day-to-day existence, and, you know, whenever somebody well-meaning would say, man, you got the patience of a saint, they'd say, no, no, don't say that, don't say that, no, I'm the worst of sinners. And that's why in an earlier episode I cautioned against um, calling somebody fake humble. And I'm not saying that fake humble ain't a thing, but that that falls into the categorization of rash judgment because the only person that knows whether a person's being sincere or fake is God. So. You know, as somebody, well, let me put it to you this way: if if a person's going to strip clubs or they're going to uh, uh, cat houses, as we call it in the states, but you know, they they act like they're you know, they say, "Oh, I'm nobody, I'm nobody." If you, you know, that may not necessarily be a rash judgment in the sense that their outward appearance would indicate that they are being fake humble. But once again, to err on the side of caution, I would advise that that's God's call, not ours. Um, anyhow. But, um, this tendency to, I I explained it to my, my friend in this regard, they tried to downplay this, the, the saints and you got to remember that they did get canonized. So, but it downplayed their venial faults. It downplayed their venial faults and upplayed their sanctity, and this is known as a plaster saint because it, it it creates this heroic image of the saint. And don't get me wrong; they wouldn't be a canonized saint if they weren't heroic. But it it downplays their faults, and that goes back to what I was saying actual saints know that they have these faults and just as a aside, I think the reason why the older church did this was because if they I think that and this is just speculation you take it for what it's worth I think the reason they did that was was that they were afraid that Say all uh, let's just say Saint Augustine had a um he could be impatient with people. And, you know, even after his conversion, he could be short with people. Well, if they put that in his saints' biography, then I think what they were afraid of was, was number one tarnishing his image as a saint, but number two that somebody ignorant might read that and say, well, St. Augustine had a short temper, and he was a saint, so I can be this way. That's a very understandable idea. Now, given the times we live in, and this was something that I wanted to tell my friend, but I wanted to spring this on him now, is that in today's day and age, we are so mired in carnality and sin that when we when we hear about heroic sanctity, well, I, I'm gonna personalize this. When when I started getting serious and I was reading about the, you know, the, the, the horrible sanctity of the saints, I had two reactions. My first reaction was, oh, good grief. I can't do this. You know, I'm, I'm a literal scumbag. There's no way I can do this. My second reaction was that, um, was a mix of discouragement with this a mix of discouragement with kind of I'm not gonna lie I was kind of disgusted because to me I, I was discouraged obviously because you know these are you know they they were born from toddlers to be saints And here I am at 50 trying to be pious and devout. And the other part was kind of discussed. It's like, well, God made these, you know, obviously if they were pious and devout as toddlers, God predestinated them. And that was, out of my own carnality and part of it was out of ignorance too because what I didn't realize is not all saints like I said this is this is my theory is some people are predestinated to be saints as toddlers others are not um where the calvinists and the uh, Jansenists, and all jansenism is is uh calvinism with a catholic facade um where they they can't the catholic viewpoint on predestination is nuance now calvinism like any other heresy is very black and white you're either predestined, double predestinated by God or you're, you're an absolute scumbag that's irreformable and you're going to hell. There's no in between. Catholic theology on predestination is different than that. It does allow, I mean, the Blessed Mother's a perfect example. God made her for the express purpose of having Jesus and being mediatrix between... Us and God Himself, because God can't stand the sight of sin, so He needed an intermediator between Him and His sinful creations. So, a lot of people don't understand. Well, once again, I'll go, I'll use myself as what I didn't understand was. That there, and this is another thing I'm thinking of, there have been thousands of saints, thousands. Not every saint, like I said, was was a a, a pious and devout out of their mother's womb. So because God is who he is, when he made the universe, he knew he knew, it's called foreknowledge. And honestly speaking, I'd like to hear a lot more spiritual teaching on foreknowledge because I think it gets a short shrift. And when I was a Protestant, I used to argue with my Calvinist uncle about this because it says in his precious Bible who God for knew he predestined. In other words, he knew the people when he made, you know, when he made everything, who would accept his call and who would reject it. That's not the same thing as creating people that are going to get to heaven from from the very get-go for heaven and making people predestined to hell. That's why it's called double predestination. Because God is making you beforehand. Before you, you know, before you even had a choice, a chance to be born. He is literally saying, uh, well, basically he's, he's filling hell. Because in the Calvinist twisted head, he's God. He could do whatever he wants. And he can. But he... You know, because he's a loving God, you know, not everything that he does is going to make sense to us finite human beings, but he, he's justice. You know, he's justice and anyone with two eyes and a brainstem knows that it is the height of injustice to make per to make human beings for the express purpose. Of sending them to hell But I will get into that uh, uh, The whole predestination thing On my next podcast But I just wanted to outline That You know Some people God does predestinate to sainthood He absolutely does But other people He foreknew Because he's God, you know. Remember, God doesn't fit into our boxes. We fit into his boxes. He knew, you know, that... uh, Pardon me if this sounds a little presumptuous. I'm I'm just using this as an example. He knew that in my 50s, I was going to... have an honest and sincere desire to get into heaven. And so um he, he knew I was going to make this attempt. And let's just say, I'm not trying to be presumptuous here. This is just an argument. He knew that I was going to persevere to the end and maybe I had to go to purgatory, but I still got to heaven that's that's foreknowledge and i've consumed a lot of sermons not probably as many as i should have but i think of for where i'm at right now i've i've consumed enough that uh, it, it, as far as i'm aware and uh I'm not 100% infallibly sure, but I'm pretty sure that I have yet to hear a subvacantist priest or bishop talk about foreknowledge in the plan of predestination. And once again, with the foreknowledge, he also knows who's going to reject his offer of salvation. And some people, as I said in an earlier episode, there was one person on Father Bernard Utley's series who wrote him an email and said, oh, you know, you could just tell this guy was of a Jansenist mindset because he was acting like if he couldn't go straight to heaven, then he was going to go to hell and there's no in between. And he said, well, I didn't have a choice in this. Everybody has a choice. To accept or reject. But that's why spiritual life is important. And and I got to admit. I I honestly got to admit. That. God has been. Incredibly. Generous with me. Because. As near as I can tell. (laughs) and I should be the best judge of my own life, as, as far as I can tell, I had absolutely no inclination on, um, on getting to heaven. I had no inclination on serving God, period. But he, he was incredibly generous and I talk about this in, in a previous episode. I had my, what one of my favorite podcasters called the Road to Damascus moment. And me being an American, I would call my Come to Jesus moment. Now, did I become on fire for God after this? No, no. God deals with us in individuals in my case I'm incredibly hard-headed and uh, willful so I had I had to um get to it on my own speed anyway like I said I'm going to cover this in my next podcast and <laughs> Please forgive me gentle listener. Um, you know I'm an autist, so I had to explain this stuff. So please please be patient with me. I mean, not that you aren't already are heroically patient. But anyway, so what this what my gentle listener wanted me to cover was Ordinary people. Well, actually, (laughs) when, when, when he first sent me the question, I thought he wanted me to talk about ordinary people who became saints. And by talking to him, I found out that, no, he wanted to talk about actual, I won't speak for him or anybody else that he knows, for myself, scumbags who decided to or decided to cooperate with God and become his friend who became saints and the book i'm going to include in the show notes it's a mixed bag but i've got i've got um three saints from this book that when I read the book I, I, I was actually touched the other saints I felt like you know he, he was erring too much on the side of well they had venial sins they had venial sins and that's you know and, and to me it just left me cold but these three individuals I'm going to list um he, uh, yeah, I, I can, as a matter of fact, well, I can, I can, uh, feel for all three of them, but there's one in particular that I'm going to get to that really left an impression upon me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And, uh, St. Saint, Saint Mary Magdalene. Thank you. Now... Everybody likes to quote about St. Augustine, how he led a dissolute life and um, you know his mother's praying for him actually converted him. Um, I'm not going to list St. Augustine in this. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I'm not going to list him. He's been, as we say in America, he's been done to death. Everybody, even the most hardened secularist knows that St. Saint, saint Augustine started out as a dissolute guy and turned into a saint. So I'm not going to include him in this. Although in the book, he's in there. To me, it's just belaboring the obvious. Oh, one other thing I want to... The reason I got confused and thought he wanted ordinary saints was he, he asked about soldiers and housewives and, uh, butchers. And I should have clarified with this, this with him sooner, but the way the question was worded, I misunderstood. And, you know, I thought he wanted me to list some ordinary housewives who became saints or ordinary soldiers. I will include a few. Oh, uh, I'm gonna have I'm gonna have two lists. And if there's room in the show notes, I'm going to include them in them. I'm going to have a list of ordinary people who became saints from soldiers and housewives. And then I'm going to list the people that their friends and neighbors thought that they were going to hell. They were that dissolute and they ended up becoming great saints in their own right. Although in a lot of cases, these saints I'm going to list, probably nobody's ever heard of them. So for the ordinary saints, for the housewives I'm going to list St. Francis of Rome, St. Jane Francis de Chanel, Chantel, and she actually, she started out as a housewife and she was so moved by the preaching of St. Francis de Sales that once her husband died and her kids were out of the house, she started her own religious order under his direction. There's St. Rita of Cassica. St. Elizabeth of Portugal, and St. Catherine of Genoa. Um, I I, I find St. Catherine of Genoa an interesting story in her own right. As far as the soldiers go, and yes, this is going to be referential, but not on purpose. St. Longinus. Now, because a lot of people don't start at the beginning, I will explain the reason this podcast is named Saint Longinus's Baptism is because Saint Longinus. Well, there, there's there's two there's two um, stories about him. If you remember, one of the soldiers struck Jesus in the side with his spear. And blood and water came out of Jesus' side and covered him. That's why this podcast is named Saint Longinus's baptism. And in case I need to, to, to state this, Saint Longinus was a Roman centurion. He was a soldier. The other story is, and I believe this is in the book of Matthew. Uh, A centurion after Jesus uh, said, my God, my God, why hast thou art forsaken me? This particular centurion said, truly this man was the son of God. Might have been St. Mark, I'm not sure. Anyhow, these are the two stories that have been attributed to St. Longinus, the, the Roman centurion, who was at the crucifixion. Now, gotta remember that before he was he was sent to execute Jesus, this guy was your Roman, or, I, I'm sorry, your ordinary Roman pagan legionnaire. He was your an ordinary legionnaire. Okay, I'm gonna have to continue this. Give me a sec. Okay, so where I left off was um, St. Longinus, uh, he was an ordinary Roman, pagan Roman soldier until his encounter with Jesus. And apparently, after the crucifixion, he became a Christian. Um, because we're talking, you know, like the around the uh, 30s or the 40s uh, AD nobody is certain that the, de- the details are sketchy however um, the legend is, is that he was martyred he was martyred by a Roman emperor during the pagan persecutions of Christians because he would not renounce Christ now whether this happened in Rome or in uh, Judea is uncertain it might have actually happened anywhere in the Roman Empire but the, the story is, is that um, he was martyred for the faith um, now just as a side note um, I this was something I also did not know until recently. Apparently, Saint Longinus, Longinus, was a part. I, I I don't know if he was mentioned in the liturgy of All Saints Day or, but he he was mentioned somewhere in the pre-Vatican II. Um. Roman Canon, and when um, when um, Vatican II came along, they—I mean, he wasn't the only victim of this, but because he's my namesake of my podcast, uh, this this kind of is a little personal for me. They took him out of the canon. I, honestly speaking, given that it's Vatican II we're talking about, I'm actually surprised that they just didn't they they didn't nullify his sainthood at all. But what they did do was was remove him from mention, um, being mentioned because I spent ten years. In, in the Vatican II sect, um, I can't, I don't think I had heard of Saint Longinus, even though I had watched the the, the uh, Passion, I did not know who he was until last summer. When you know I started getting serious, anyhow, so. You had St. Longinus; He's a soldier. Ordinary soldier, no less. So I just gave you a, a slight list of some ordinary people who ended up becoming saints. Now, the other list I'm going to have were sinners. And when I say sinners, I mean well, I'll speak for myself, Uh, people that their friends and neighbors and family considered them unredeemable, who ended up becoming saints. Now, obviously, the first person I'm going to name is, she's as well-known as St. Augustine, But I think she's better known by females than males. And that's St. Mary Magdalene. Now, I've seen memes from the Neotrads saying that she was never mentioned as a prostitute in the Bible. And that is true, because I've read my New Testament. She was never said to have been a prostitute. However I've never gotten around To talking about this series of books They're by Saint Anne Emmerich And They were visions Given to her by Jesus Where um, she, 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 She saw these Visions as a little kid and you know she I I want to say she had them the majority of her life and toward the end of her life um, a very pious writer dictated her visions and turned them into a series of books her name is Saint Anne Emmerich the reason I'm raising her or her visions is because she not only did the life of Jesus, she also did the life of Mother Mary and the life of uh, Mary Magdalene. Now, because she was alive in the 1700s, she couldn't come right out and say, well, Mary was sleeping around. But if you... Read between the lines; she gives that indication that um, she may not have charged her boyfriend's, you know, money, but she she is what is known in uh, American slang as a kept woman. Basically, she would go from boyfriend to boyfriend, and they would just basically provide her. With whatever she needed And um, Anybody Who's familiar with the uh, With the idea knows That um, You know I, I've done this myself You just give your girlfriend presents You You basically give your girlfriend's presents And that's basically What was happening She was the prototypical um, modern girl (laughs) 2,000 years before they became so commonplace as roaches But, you know, she just She would go with one guy He would give her a bunch of gifts She'd move on to the next guy And so, technically They're correct She was an out-and-out prostitute but um you know taking presents from your boyfriends and not marrying them and sleeping with them anyway um i'll i'll leave you to make what that sounds like i'll i'll leave you to make that call but you know um in 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 the uh, in the visions about Jesus that she had, um, she uh, she was notorious even within her own family. Um, and I think Martha and Lazarus were both praying for her. That she would get converted, and it wasn't just them. According to the Anne Emmerich um, visions, a bunch of people around Jesus were praying for her conversion. And yes, she was the sister of of Lazarus, who he raised from the dead, and Martha. She is the she is the Mary in the um, in the gospel. That she was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him teach. And Martha, <laughs> this this just goes to show that Martha was a saint because she, she actually upbraided Jesus. And this is in the gospel. This isn't any conjecture on my part. She actually upbraided Jesus. She's like, hey, talk to my sister, you know. I, I'm, I'm taking care of the hospitality and she's just sitting around listening to you. And Jesus <laughs> I'm sure he was repressing a smile I had to tell her, Martha, your sister has chosen the best part, which is my teachings. You know, I, I can't I can't correct her for doing something that she's doing right. Now of course I'm paraphrasing, but you get the gist. And if you read the gospel, you'll understand that I'm uh, I'm not far off in my paraphrase. Anyhow, so there was Mary Magdalene. This second person, who's also female, the one I was saying earlier, that really, when I read her story, made an impact on me, was named Saint Margaret of Cortona. Saint Margaret um when she was born was an ordinary kid but she was really close to her mother well when she was a really young child her mother died and her father married another woman who basically treated St. Margaret like a red-haired stepchild and because she was not born a saint you know Off the bat, um, she reacted as any child would. She rebelled. And because she didn't start out, you know, uh, pious and holy to begin with, and I can relate to this, if you're that way, you're going to go the way that secular people do. So. You know, she had her boyfriend, she had kids out of wedlock, or at least one. One. I'm thinking it was more than one, though. But um, her come-to-Jesus moment was when she was in her early 20s. She had found a, a rich duke or baron. Uh, Because it is reputed that she was absolutely gorgeous. She was absolutely gorgeous. And this guy, he didn't marry her. He was already married. But he, he sent his wife away and had her move into his manor with her. And she had a kid with him. And, you know... Obviously, the Duke wasn't the same himself, so they, they did what seculars do. They lived together, even though he was still legally married. And, you know, they, they had parties and stuff. And, well, one day, uh, I believe she lived in northern Italy. Well, one day, and we're, we're talking this happened in like the 1200s. One day she came home, or, no, oh, I'm sorry, she was taking a walk. And she found her boyfriend in a ditch with his throat slit. Now, nobody ever got to the bottom of why this dude got murdered. But the, the common story is, is that one of his political rivals um, got mad at him and killed him and made it look like a robbery. Because we're talking the 1200s, you know, you didn't have CSI. They just, you know, that's a way a lot of people died in those days was they would be riding the roads and a group of robbers would come upon them, kill them and take their money. And that was her come to Jesus moment. And she went through incredible hardships. I mean, like I said... you gotta read the story in this book I'm going to give it, it was just I, I believe up until the moment she died it was just pain, misery and suffering but any person who understands the spiritual life knows the more wild you were before you tried to get pious and devout the more turbulent your life in the road of devotion and uh Piety is going to be. The next uh, wild man. Well. Yeah he's kind of a wild man. uh, That I'm going to mention is Saint John of God. Not to be confused with Saint John of the Cross. This was a different Saint John. And. And. I don't want to give a thumbnail here because it's been a few months since I've read this book, but um, either him or the next person that I'm going to list was a former soldier who um, led a dissolute life and, and eventually ended up becoming a saint for God. I believe St. John of God, I believe he founded a hospital for beggars and lepers. If, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that, and, and he funded it basically by begging and doing chores. The last uh, rough saint I'm going to list. Is Saint Camulus de Lullis. and like I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to put this list in my show notes. He was also a desolate character who eventually became a saint of God. So I hope, gentle listener, that this you I gave you what you wanted. I threw in my own spin. As I want to do So In the show notes I'm going to include the book And the the two types of saints That I'm going to list I hope That anyone who comes Upon this episode Finds it informative And Inspiring Um I appreciate you listening. I you know, I, I gotta say this at the end every time because time is a precious commodity. If you spent it with me, um I gotta give you thanks for that, even if you think, you know, that I'm full of crap. <laughs> um I'm praying for everybody that's in my life, either directly or indirectly. I'd like to see as many people get to heaven as possible. Um, Thank you for listening. God bless you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.